KMTT, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Chayei Sarah. Kaf Vav Cheshvan, Shabbat Mevarchim, Chodesh Kislev, just about Dan Cheshvan. Erev Shabbat Kodesh program, Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I am your host, Jonathan Snowbelt. This uh, Erev Shabbat program will be a lot about speculation, a lot about raising issues and raising possible, not even possible answers, but possible directions for answers. I'll even go through it in an associative way in a place where In the, in, the, in the direction that I came across it in, and not necessarily in the most uh, organized, cognitively structured way of doing this. We'll see how it goes. As I was reading this week's Parsha, as I'm accustomed to do, from my father-in-law, I read an Aliyah every day. To, in order to finish Shnai Mikra Chad Targum, I go through it twice, reading over the Aliyah, once with Onkelos and once with Rashi. There may be other better ways to do that, but for the time being, that's what I'm doing. I do definitely have a desire to see the Parsha through and through with different Mepharshim, which I haven't been Zoha to yet. Um, probably time to do that. In any case... I have one machloka with my father-in-law. I start Shabbat in the afternoon when we've already started laying next week's Parsha in order to do one Aliyah a day up till Friday, so you're finished by Shabbat. And on Shabbat again, you start the next week's Parsha. My father-in-law believes you start on Sunday and you do two Aliyah on Friday. Why do two Aliyah on Friday if you could do one Aliyah per day? In any case, as I come towards the end of the Parsha, I came across an interesting word, which is that after the whole long story of Eved Avraham, who we often call Eliezer, but important to note that the Torah never calls him that here. It just says Eved Avraham. Of course, at the end of the Parsha, he becomes Eved Yitzchak, though not in that tandem of words. But it's interesting to note that from the beginning of the Parsha, where Avraham sends him, and Avraham is his Adon, at the end of the Parsha, this Eved returns to Eretz Canaan, and suddenly Rivka asks, who is this man, referring to Yitzchak, and the Eved says, who Adoni, and Avraham disappears. Avraham, the person who sent him, is not the person he returns to. He returns to Yitzchak, and he reports to Yitzchak. Very interesting to note, not our topic of a discussion this morning. It's my morning. You'll be listening to this whenever you're listening. 5.30 in the morning, to be precise. In any case, we come across this word. Yitzchak brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rivka to be his wife, and he loved her. And Yitzchak was comforted after the death of his mother. So the word I'm interested in here is and he loved her. Why am I interested in that? Because it appeared to me, 
at first glance that this might be the first time in Sefer Bereshit and in the Torah and in the Tanakh that the word Ahava or the Shoresh Aleph Hey Bet comes up. It's the first time that there is love mentioned in the Torah. And then I quickly did a mental review and I realized that I was mistaken and I tried to go through the concordance last night but it wasn't a good scientific approach to doing it. But before I did the concordance and I didn't see anything different in the concordance, I realized, of course, that there's a very famous one. And every time I ask this to people, I said, when, you f- when I tell you the answer... You're going to say, I can't believe I didn't remember that. And here all of you think for a second. The first time is in Akedat Yitzchak. Take your son, who is you, your only one, that you love, at Yitzchak. So in that case, what we have is some sort of complementary... Um, the first two loves in the Torah then are, let's say, the more primordial basic love of the father to a son, and subsequently the love of a husband to a wife. And that is between Yitzchak and Rivka. And that's a secondary love, because it's a love that we develop not from birth, not from the very essence of our existence, as we've discussed in the past, like the love of a father to a son, but a love that is developed. And it's more striking, and the Rav Shem Hirsch tries to talk about this, that not only is this a developed love, but as opposed to how we, uh, or maybe not even as opposed, love is something that is developed more after marriage than it is developed before marriage. We usually think of, you fall in love, you get married... But in fact, the Torah is describing He took her as his wife and then he loved her. Now, I think Rav Shimshin Rafal Hirsch makes this into a big deal that, uh, you know, Shiduchim, the way we do it in Judaism is the right way that you first get married and then you find out about a person and you love them. And I'm not even talking about Shiduchim. Even in a modern society in which people go out with each other, they get excited about each other, and then they get married. I specifically am using the word get excited about each other because being married not for that long, just for nine and a half years, I can certainly testify to the fact that whatever existed pre-marriage was getting excited about each other more than it was love. Love is a much more complex and deep emotion that uh, only is developed throughout marriage. So therefore, even within, uh, without making a comment on whether you're supposed to only go out with your wife two times before you get married, as is customary in certain sects of Judaism, or you're supposed to go out for a few months or whatever, and you're supposed to love your wife before you marry her. Uh, I don't think you need to make that uh, distinction here based on the Pasuk. I think you just have to say, according to everybody, love is developed throughout married life. That was a large aside, which I didn't want to go to. What did I want to go to? I wanted to discuss the absence of the term Ahava until this point. Now, in discussing the relationship between the husband and wife, suddenly, as I'm saying everything right now, I say, wait, wait a second, there's another pasuk, which it's a good idea that Ahava might appear there. And as I quickly mentally went through it, it doesn't appear. 
And where is that pasuk? Again, in the first discussion of a relationship between a husband and wife, al ish et avivi that is why a man leaves his parents and he becomes attached to his wife and they become one, one body, one being. The, the word ahava doesn't appear there and it's interesting to note that perhaps that is a description of married life as a more basic human need and less based on love. The basic human need that a man has to be together with a woman, and and in fact the Torah describes it like that without mentioning the word love. Here by Yitzchak and Rivka we have the word love, but then what becomes uh, something that needs to be questioned is why is love min- missing until now? So we can say in Bereshit and Noach we have very very. Um, surface descriptions of people and relationships, and there's no room for the word love. But then we come to Avraham and Sarah, who have a very deep relationship, an involved relationship, and we're not describing them on a surface level at all, we're describing them in great detail, and yet the word love is absent in that relationship. Just to drive the point home, the word love from here on in becomes par for the course. Because we have, in next week's parsha, parsha Todot, Yitzchak loves Esav, Rivka loves Yaakov, Yitzchak loves the food that Esav prepares for him. And then going into the next week's parsha, Yaakov loves Rachel, Leah is the hated wife. Okay, so emotions are out on the table from here on in. And it's only missing then in Avraham and Sarah. And the question is why? And all I'm going to do at this point is open up two directions of thought and let you think about it for yourself. The beginning of this week's Parsha, there's an odd pasuk that people like to make into a big deal. And what we're going to discuss is, is are they correct in making this into a big deal? It says, Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Avraham came to eulogize Sarah and to cry over her. Now, if we go back six psukim into the previous parsha, or seven psukim going back into the previous parsha, at the end of the Akedah, it says that Avraham is in Be'er Sheva. Ve'ashov Avraham el ne'arav, ve'yakomu ve'yelchu yachdav el Be'er Sheva, ve'yeshav Avraham be'er Sheva. Avraham is in dwelling in Be'er Sheva. And in fact, throughout Parshat Vayera, or at least from the point where he leaves the center of the country after the destruction of Stom, he is in the area of Be'er Sheva. And we see that he makes a pact with Avimelech in Be'er Sheva, in Be'er Sheva, and he returns then, after the Akedah, to Be'er Sheva. And then if we continue into Parshat Chayesara, so Sarah is in Hebron, and she dies there, and Abraham comes to 
eulogize her in Hebron, implying that he wasn't he wasn't in Hebron, but where was he? He was in Beersheba. Okay. All of this assumes some sort of direct continuity from the end of Parshat Vayera into Parshat Chayesara, which, by the way, is something that Chazal assume. Chazal placed Yitzchak's age at 37 at the time of the Akedah. How did they get to 37? Because if five psukim later, Sarah died, and Sarah, we know, was 127 when she died, and Sarah was 90 when Yitzchak was born, it's simple math, Yitzchak was 37. Okay, this assumes a reading of the Torah which says, well, we read Vayera last week. A week has gone by, Sarah's dead, everybody's the same age. Okay, the the problematicness of this assumption that everything is that's happening at the same time is obvious. And there might be, I'm being a little bit, I'm oversimplifying Chazal's approach here. And there might be other issues as well, and Chazal try to tie in Sarah's reaction to hearing about the Akedah as well. But, that being told, the term Vayavo Avraham, Avraham came to eulogize her and to cry over her, is a tad troubling, on the one hand. On the other hand, as I said, it's very possible that, yes, at the end of the Akedah, whenever that was, perhaps Yitzchak was 15 years old, who knows. Yitzchak couldn't have been a little tiny boy because it says that Abraham placed the trees on his back to carry it. So let's assume he's a young teenager, 10 years old, 13 years old. So then after the Akedah, Abraham goes back to Beersheba. And then, presumably, Sarah is there as well. And then at some point, they are traveling about and they end up back in Hebron. And then, why does it say Vayavo Avraham? Because they were living together, but for whatever reason, Avraham was on a tshuva trip where he was going across the country and he was trying to bring his souls to God. And he wasn't in Hebron when Sarah died. Perhaps. That's if I make light of the word Vayavo Avraham, that Avraham came. However, there certainly is a theory out there that there is some sort of estrangement between Avraham and Sarah, and I have to say that I'm not comfortable with this. But, I will make the case for it. Avraham and Sarah have had a lot of ups and downs. Twice, Avraham, by saying Sarah is his sister, I would say, endangers Sarah's existence, and the Ramban doesn't like this behavior of Avraham. Twice this happens, not once, but twice. They have a fierce argument over Yishmael and his status. And though Avraham does what Sarah wants and what God tells him to do, you wouldn't be surprised if in the kitchen sometimes Avraham would stare out the window, sigh and say, I wonder what happened to Ishmael and how that would just burn Sarah up. And then, perhaps, the lack of the term Ahava in their relationship is then not coincidental, but purposeful, because the term Ahava appears between the other Avot, 
but not here. And the fact that Avram was not in Hebron when Sarah died was also not accidental. Why am I not comfortable with all of this? For two reasons. One, on a belief level. On a belief level, it is important to me that the Avot have good marriages, they are leaders for us, they are role models for us. But maybe one would call that a from... Um, a from uh, reasoning, and that's not a reason we're reading the text. We're not uh, we're not students of our emotions. We're students of the text. We're students of the Torah. But beyond that, I think it's important to note where the term ahava comes up in the relationships of Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov and Rachel are in the courting stages or in the earlier stages, in the forging of the relationship stages. Avram and Sarah become characters at the beginning of Parsha Lechacha, although they're mentioned at the end of Parsha Noach, but they become characters in the middle of a married life. Everything that's written about them in Parsha Noach is just background knowledge. The Torah does not deem it significant how they met and how they marry. We see that they're from the same family, which is significant unto itself. But truthfully, the reason why nothing is described about their courtship is because they don't become characters until after they're married. When Avram is 75 years old and he gets to that's when Avraham becomes a character. Whatever happens to Avraham before that is insignificant in the eyes of the Torah to describe. And so therefore, if our main character, Avraham, and Sarah, his wife, are begin, have begun to be charted, not from their birth, like Yitzchak and Yaakov, but from the middle of their married life, when they've already been married. And so there's no room then to discuss their courtship, and there's no room to discuss the Ahava, which comes up always at the point of the forging of the relationship. Well, this relationship has been forged in the past, and we didn't talk about Avram's bar mitzvah nor Sarah's bat mitzvah. We didn't talk about their wedding and how many people were there. We just catch them in the middle of life after they're already married and established. And therefore, the word ahava is missing. It's not a jarring omission. It's an understandable omission. There we have it. I've taken too much time already, and we have to pass the microphone over to Rav Bik. Food for thought. You draw your conclusions. Ask yourself if it is acceptable to think that uh, there was an estranged relationship between Avram and Sarah. Ask yourself if there was an estranged relationship, or if they had a solid relationship. One last point to mull over is that though Yitzchak also... Um, said that Rivka was his sister when they went to Gerar, into the land of Abimelech, it never actually came to fruition that Rivka was taken away. Abimelech caught them being loving in a way that only a husband and wife would be loving before anything bad happened. So Rivka never had the trauma of being taken away into another man's house that Sarah did. But again, is all of this a reason 
for there not to have been love between Avram and Sarah? I doubt it. At least at some point there should have been love there. For whatever reason it's not significant to the Torah, perhaps. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. And on this note, in which I've taken too much time, I wish you a Shabbat Shalom, a Chodesh Tov, and I call out to you again to pray for rain in Eretz Yisrael. It's not good enough for us to have an average year or a good year. We have to have a phenomenal year to fill up the Kinneret, bring the banks of the Kinneret back to where they're supposed to be. And I will pass on at this point the microphone to Rav Bek. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom Ubracha. Pashat Chayisara has actually a lot of more or less explicit uh, lessons in the field of Gemilut Chasadim. And because it's explicit and well known, those aren't the ones that I wish to um, concentrate on, but I'll at least mention one in the very, very beginning. Um, Abraham buries Sarah in the beginning of the Pasha. What we learn from there is not that you have to bury your wife. Uh, mitzvat Kvura, burial, is learned in a more halachic uh, uh, framework later on in the Torah. But um, the She'iltot, it's not a Gemara, it's a, the She'iltot, the Bra'achagon, uh, says that there's a din learned from this Pasuk that one is obligated not just that one should bury, but that one should cry and eulogize and bury it. It says by Yaakov, uh, Abraham, that when he came to uh, Hebron, he came in order to lispod kota, to eulogize her, hesped, and, uh, and bechi. Which is not at all the same uh, mitzvah as mitzvah to bury. Uh, to bury somebody is gemilut chasadim because leaving him unburied is considered to be bizayon considered to be disgraceful. It's, it's, uh, and that's why, in fact, you're, if no one else is burying somebody, then everybody is obligated. It's called meit mitzvah. You find a dead body, chas v'shalom, lying untended, then it's mitzvah to bury it. It's a, it's a gemilut chasadim. I'm not sure that lispod v'lifkot is gemilut chasadim. Uh, by Hesped there's a machloket in the Gemara at least a question in the Gemara as to whether a Hesped is for the sake of the departed or for the sake of the relatives but Lifkot I think is for neither Lifkot is really for yourself it's not really Gemilut Chasadim you're not doing anybody a favor you're not doing anybody Chesed or goodness by crying it's simply it's the right thing to do for a human being and in fact here it's talking about Avram for his wife but the Mitzvah Shem We'll come back to it, if I remember to come back to it, uh, in Pashad Vayishlach. There is a similar comment made when Devorah Mineket uh, Rivka dies, and it says that the place was called Alon Bachut. The, the city in which she was buried is called, or the place where she's buried, is called Alon Bachut, the, the Oak of Crying. And if I should explain, why was it called that? Because they cried there. And then the comment is made that you should cry for a good person. And it's not in order to help, to be nice to the good person who's died. It's a mitzvah, a chiyuv, to show the proper attitude, the fact that someone has departed from the world and the person was an adam kasher. That's the expression used. Um, it, it's... It should affect you. It's the right thing. It's the right thing. Uh, it's the right thing to do. Lifkot al adam al adam kasher. So in our pasha, though, the shulot is not found. It's found over here. The shulot says that uh, michayev, a person is obligated 
to cry, to eulogize, as well as to bury, as we find in Avraham Avinu, it says, Lispol Sarah Velifkota. There are a number of other uh, similar things concerning Gemilut uh, Chasadim, the general mitzvah of Gemilut Chasadim, which according to the Rambam is learned from the Pasuk of Haftal Arecha Kamorcha, but it has examples, formal examples, given in Chazal. Nichumah Veilim, Bikur Cholim, Lahalbish Arumim, to give tzedakah, to be nice, to help the sick, to, to uh, comfort the, the mourners. All these things are examples, specific examples of the general category called Milut Chasadim, which is learned from Haftal Recha Kamocha. So one of those is, in fact, the source is in our Pasha, from what's later on, when Abraham met, when Abraham dies, excuse me, when Abraham dies, it says, Vayihi aharei mot Avraham, vayivarech Elohim et Yitzchak beno vayeshev Yitzchak im be'er l'hai roi. When after Abraham died, God blessed Yitzchak, and Yitzchak lived by the well of l'hai roi. Um, offhand the pshat is that God gave a bracha to Yitzchak. He blessed him, made him rich, made him prosperous. Apparently, Chazal don't understand that. And before that, he didn't. Was, Abraham had to die before before Avraham Yitzhak is not a young man when Avraham dies. And he's he's in his eighties. Till then Yitzhak didn't get a bracha from God, only after Avraham died did Yitzhak get a bracha from God. So the Gemara and Sata, the context there is where they in fact are looking for the sources of each of the individual forms of Gimlut Chasadim and the source is the actions of God. How do we know you should be Mivakel Choleh? Because God was Mivakel Choleh. When did God visit the sick? Last week's Pasha. God visited Abraham after the Milah. You should be Malbish Arumim. You should clothe the naked. How do we know that? Because God did it. When did God do it? God made clothing for Adam and Chava in Gan Eden. He made them uh, uh, clothing of skin, of leather, and he dressed them. How do we know that there's something called Nichum Aveilim? Dechtiv. Gemara in Sota Daf Yudalid. Vayihi Acharei Mot Avraham. After Abraham died, immediately after Abraham died, God came and blessed Yitzchak. What does it mean to bless him? It means Birkat Avelim. Birkat Avelim is Rachaman Hu Yenachem Chab Etoch Shav Yitzchak Yerushalayim. It's the bracha one gives a person in order to comfort him, and we see that God did it for Yitzchak. This is the source that we are all obligated to be Menachem Avelim in order to walk in the in the in the path of God. This kind of a source, as opposed to other kind of sources, of course, bears an extra uh, meaning. It means that there's a mitzvah to do gomel chasadim, a mitzvah to do acts of loving kindness. But the fact that the Gemara in Sota connects it to the Pasuk of Halachta Bidrachav, you should act as God does, and just as He is Menachem Abedim, you should be Menachem Abedim, means that other than being a mitzvah of being nice to people, mitzvot of Gminut chasadim are imitate yodei. They are character traits and character actions which reflect the nature of God Himself. A person who does them isn't only doing the right thing, he is acting in a divine manner. He is imitating God. One is obligated to imitate God in these areas. And here we find that God is Menachem Avelim. Therefore, says the Gemara, so too should you be Menachem Avelim. What else do we have in uh, this week's Pasha? So we have some more examples of what we had in some of the previous Pashiot, 
דרך ארץ. אז נא את המצווה, נא לחיוב, as the shilter said, one is obligated to cry and uh, eulogize a dead person, but דרך ארץ, דרך ארץ is the proper behavior. An example, ויוסף אברהם ויקח אישה ושמה כתורה. אברהם מריז, a second wife, so is dead. And he marries a wife whose name is Ketura, Ravashi brings down the Midrash, who says that she is really um, uh, Hagar. But the Midrash Rabbah here points out that this Pasuk is found in a certain context. The previous Pasuk describes Yitzchak's marrying Rivka. Rivka comes back with Eliezer from Aram, meets Yitzchak, and Yitzchak takes her into the tent, and he loves her, and he marries her, and he loves her. And the next pasuk says, and Avraham went ahead and married another woman whose name is Ketura. The Midrash Rabbah on the place says, Amar Rabbi Yudan, Lim datcha Torah derech Eretz. The Torah here is teaching you, derech Eretz. Shem yed adam banim gdolim, yehim asiyan tchila, v'yachakachu noseh doisha. A person has children, children who are old enough, older children, old enough to get married. And, but he doesn't have a wife. His wife has died, he's a widower. So, If he, he should first marry them, or he should first arrange, uh, help, whatever, take care of their getting married before he marries his own, his own wife. As we see that Abraham did not marry Keturah, and especially if Keturah Zagah, so he knew she was there, he didn't have to go search for her, he wasn't waiting for, to meet in the woman. Abraham did not marry Keturah until after Yitzchak first married, married uh, Rivka. Ram, of course, was actively engaged in that. He first sent Eliezer to find a wife for Rivka, for Yitzchak, Rivka, and only after he succeeded, then he go, next Pasuk, immediately, apparently he was just waiting for that purpose, for that time, and married the Iktura. This might seem uh, obvious, I mean, uh, an old man, but he has grown children, means an old man, so, you know, marrying off your children is really important. For you to get another wife is only uh, a luxury. But you have to remember two things. One is Chazal learned from Avraham, and not only from Avraham, other places as well, that in fact one who is old and his wife has unfortunately died should marry. It's, it's, it's considered to be very proper, almost a mitzvah. It's, it's, it's phased even as a mitzvah. One should not be unmarried. The Erev Al-Tanach Yadecha. Secondly, so know that it's not just a luxury. It's, it's a... It's the right thing to do. Two, there's a general rule that you always take precedence over others. Anybody who has something for himself and something for someone else to do, including his own children. So legally, you're more obligated to yourself than you are to others. So on that basis, this is an exception. Still, when you're talking about, apparently, basic marriage, real marriage, the first marriage of your children who are unmarried. And for you, it is an important thing, but nonetheless, not as pressing. And perhaps also it's a matter of, I, I think the Medjus is saying it's not just which comes first. The Medjus is saying it's wrong. It would somehow be like loading up your own table with, with the finest foods when your children have, have no food at all. And so therefore, specifically, you should not get married as long as your children are not married. You see, Antchila Bachakach Nosei Loisha. This is called Derech Eretz, learned from Abraham Avinu. Who, who, did, uh, who did the same thing. And the Midrash continues in the more general Lachar. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Im nasa adam isha v'meita, isa acheret. Not the contraposition 
uh, with the Yitzchak, but just the general thing that why in fact did Avraham get married again? The answer is because you should, and we should learn from that. If a person has a wife and she dies, he should marry another, and in fact have children with her because Avraham has children with Keturah. The mitzvah of Periyav Yava, or more correctly, the mitzvah of the Shabbat Yitzvah, continues uh, all the time. As the Pasuk says in Kohelet, People who are old are still productive. And this is also learned from Avraham Avinu, who is uh, quite old, according to the way the Medrash figures it. At this point, he is, well, uh, Yitzchak got married at the age of, uh, of 40. So Avraham here is 140 years old. It's not too late, not too old. And he goes ahead and he, and he marries Ketuvah. That's also uh, Rabbi Kiva says, you should do it. It's learned from Avraham Avinu. Yeah, there's one more Derech Eretz thing found in um, this week's parsha. This one is an interesting one because I'm not sure 100% as to uh, the reason or what exactly is the is the din that's involved here. When Eliezer comes to the family of Rivka, he's brought into the house, sits down, give him a little bit to eat, and then he begins to speak. He begins his ovation. Vayomar, Eved Avraham Anochi. He introduces himself by saying, I am the servant, I am the slave of Avraham. The Gemara Babakamat of Tzadibet says, Amalei Rava L'Rabba Barmori. Rava asked um, Rabba Barmori, Minah Milta Damri Inchi. What's the source in the Torah for the common expression? In other words, there's a certain folk saying, and the Gemara, very often people search for the uh, Torah source for common sense wisdom. So there's a folk saying, Milta gina de itbach kadim amra. If there's something detrimental, a flaw, something that is is not, not something you're proud of, a problem in yourself, say it first. Get it out into the open right away. The answer was that why did Eliezer begin to speak this way? Being a slave is not the most honorable thing in the world. It's it's a uh, you know it's not a disgrace, but but it's not a, a source of pride either. So the very first thing he said was and then he went on with the rest of his speech. You see that one should mention the negative points first, before going on to the positive points. Um, this is often understood, I think, as being Derech Eretz. I'm holding a safer, in fact, that's the way, Mibida Derech Eretz Ve'anava. Why is it Derech Eretz? Because it shows modesty. That if something is problematic about you, you should spill it, you should present it right away. You know, it has to do with not starting a false fund. After all, Eliezer, presumably when he came there, he didn't look like a... He wasn't a sorry state. He was the honored servant of Avraham, a very, very rich man. And you couldn't tell by looking at him that he wasn't himself a uh, a free, and perhaps even a rich man. And in order not to mislead them and not to present a false sense of pride. He says, then you should know that I'm only a, I'm only a slave. That's how it's understood. I'm not sure that's the correct explanation. Because if it's true, then it's something which we should all learn from. It's, uh, it's Derech Eretz. You should, uh, you should not hide 
your faults, especially especially in which context, doesn't mean you have to walk around all the time saying how bad you are, but in the context where you're trying to persuade somebody to react favorably to you, so you should avoid the false front of hiding your your your, your points. You should mention them. In fact, you should mention them first. Get them, put them immediately on the table. You didn't hide even for a second. That's that's one explanation. I suspect, my own feeling is that that's not what the Gemara is talking about. The Gemara is not talking about Derech Eretz, it's talking about Eitzat It's not that it's proper conduct, it's simply a good idea. And that's why it's a common, a common expression. It's not learned, it's learned from the Torah, but it, it's not something the Torah teaches. People have a, have, a, have, a, have a phrase, people have an expression, people have a, a, um, a something, a common, a common saying. If it's true, it should have a basis in the Torah. The common saying is good advice. If you're presenting your case, then put the bad bad points first and save the good points for later, not the other way around. You shouldn't find out when you're trying to persuade somebody, you shouldn't find out at the end all of a sudden, oh, wow, I missed that. Put it immediately on the table and then build your case up from them. That's good advice in how to make friends and win influence. And those things also, that's the Chiddush of this Gemara, and the Ramadan Gemara would like that. That the Torah teaches us that as well. Perhaps not deliberately, maybe that's not the main point in the Torah. But we expect those things to be found in the Torah as well. And therefore, Rabbi asked, and the answer was, that's what uh, Eliezer was doing. It's advice how to persuade somebody to give them your daughter. Not an easy thing to ask for. A stranger shows up and asks for your, three years old, your three-year-old daughter, take her away to another country and never see her again. So he has to explain to them why it's a good thing, because Abba Mavinu was a very important person, etc., you know, you're only a slave. Put that on the table, say, and then say, God bless my master, though, with riches and wisdom, etc., etc., and therefore it's a good idea. And those are our lessons from this week's Pasha. We'll be back next week. Hopefully next week's Pasha with more things to find. Until then, Shabbat Shalom, Umir Vorach.